somebody give him some praise this morning. How many happy to be in the house of the Lord? It's always good to worship God with his people. Hey, in Psalms 104, verses 33, or 30, yeah, 33, it says this. It says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. My meditation may be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Did you come to rejoice in the Lord this morning? He's the sole purpose we're here, whether we're in the worship or the word. It's all about him, amen? So as we continue to engage with God, I encourage you, let your heart connect with him. He loves you so much.
Spirit, you have your way in this place this morning. Lord, we bless your name, Jesus.
want to say thank you. Thank you that you are a miracle working God. We thank you that in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. We thank you, Lord, that healings take place in your presence. That where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That you set people free in your presence. God, we thank you. You're a good God. We love you, Lord. We love you, we're going to call our prayer team down, and we're going to pray with you about anything you have need of this morning. It's a, our ministry time in the middle of worship. Whether you have need of health, healing in your body, for your marriage, for your finances, 
But I was praying this week, and I was asking God specifically what people needed to hear during this ministry time. And he reminded me of a young woman in our church who's very pregnant and who's miserable. She says, I'm so tired. Pray with me. I'm just so tired. And I prayed with her. And God told me there are many of you here that were just like this lady that's eight months pregnant, tired and weary of being pregnant. Some of you are tired and weary of carrying the burden that you've been carrying. And you've been praying over it. You've been carrying it like a pregnant woman, whether it's for your marriage, whether it's for your finances or your business. Maybe it's for a loved one that doesn't know God. And you've been carrying it, and you're getting tired of carrying this baby. But God says it's not time yet. You need to carry it just a little bit longer. And if you don't give up, if you don't become weary and well-doing, in due season, you will reap the harvest. And we want to pray with you this morning that you do not give up, you do not become weary and say it's not worth it, but that you will keep standing, keep praying, keep believing, and then you will see God do a miracle in that situation in your life. We're calling our prayer team forward right now, and I invite you, come forward for prayer because miracles happen in the presence of God. Thank you as we continue to worship. Welcome in this place, welcome in our hearts, come and have your way, God, meet us face to face, all-consuming fire, move without restraint.
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. so glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Furnished by Faith, a ministry that helps local families in need by providing furniture and basic household goods, is having a garage sale next Saturday, April 30th from 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. in the parking lot of Church on the Rock. All proceeds will go directly back into this ministry. Your shopping at this garage sale can help local families have a place to lay their head at night. Hey parents, we are having our second ever Kids Zone Purity Weekend. It'll be May 13th through 14th. It's for kids around the ages of 10 to 13, and we only have a few spots. We're gonna be going out of town. It'll be overnight about 40 minutes away where we'll be staying in cabins, and we'll be using the Passport to Purity curriculum to really teach kids about reserving themselves for God's best. I encourage you, get your kid to come to this because it's the perfect way for them to learn God's truth about their purity. If you want to sign up, come up to Kids Zone where you can sign up with me. It's $25 for ages 10 to 13. full-time ministry get fully equipped for the fivefold ministry at SUM Texarkana Bible College and Theological Seminary at Church on the Rock Texarkana you can earn an affordable fully accredited undergraduate and graduate degree get hands-on ministry training personal mentorship by seasoned ministry leaders SUM shapes students to be passionate and prepared five-fold ministry leaders. For more information about SUM Texarkana, visit our website or give us a call. Well, isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord today? And it is a very special day for a very special person. He's a powerful preacher. He's a great gardener. Children love him, ducks fear him, and turkeys are disgusted by him. It's Pastor John Miller's birthday today. Amen. Birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Pastor John. Happy birthday. 
Yeah, Pastor John Linnell here, and you still haven't caught up with me yet. Got a few years to go. You're catching now. Amen. Hey, we're going to continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings, and we're going to read out of Luke uh, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 42 and 44. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. You know, you can kind of think of a steward as somebody like manages a McDonald's. I mean, they're basically taking an owner's business and they're trying to make a profit, manage the problems, and, and get everything working so that, you know, that owner can just trust that that place is being managed and being very effective. You know, I'd read a story a long time ago about a man, a father who bought his son some French fries, and it just resonated with me because, I mean, it's happened. It don't happen just when your kids are, you know, three or four, but it can happen when they're 18 and in their 20s. The father buys him some French fries. And the father buys the son some French fries. The father reaches over to grab a French fry, and the son slaps his hand and says, no, those are my fries. Anybody been there? Okay. Well, first of all, the father's thinking, how could this little kid be so selfish? And maybe I'll teach him a lesson and never buy him a French fry again. Or maybe I'll teach him a lesson and buy him so many French fries, I bury him with him, and he eat them until he gets sick of them or whatever. But he says, why is my son so selfish? I've given him the whole package of fries, and I just want one back. You know, God gives us all of our resources, all of our finances, all of our money. And I think sometimes when you talk about tithing, we kind of slap God's hands and say, uh, no, uh, that's mine. And it kind of challenged me back in early in my Christian walk that the Lord needed to be Lord over all of my stuff, even my finances. But God owns everything we have, correct? So here's two points I want, to, want us to remember. We need to manage what we have for the glory of God. God expects us to manage our time, our talent, our temple, our testimony, our treasures. We need to manage those things. And number two, we just he just asks us to give a portion back to him. And by doing that, then we're able to be stronger as a church, uh, be able to touch the nations, have the nations literally come to us, as you're going to hear today, and be a blessing all around the world. Amen. God bless you as you give today. You said consecrate yourselves to me.
many know this is a song not just about me? How many know it's our nation that's in need of a spiritual revival? We're all starting to hear about the presidential elections. Everybody's got opinions, but can I tell you, friend, a man or a woman are not going to change America in the way we need to be changed. How many know we need God to visit us? And we can't expect a spiritual awakening to start in the courthouse or the White House or the governor's mansion. How many know a spiritual awakening starts in God's house? Which means it starts with you and it starts with me that we simply say, Lord, would you do something fresh in me so I can be used to make a difference? Could we just reach our hands to heaven now and say, Lord, that's what I want you to do. I give you the right in me, not just where I'll feel better or have more, but Lord, where my life will matter. I want you to just pray that. Just say, Lord, I want my life to matter for the eternal kingdom of God. And I give you the right, Lord, to change my heart, change my priorities, my attitudes. Lord, I just want to, as best I know how today, give you my life, that you might use my life to be a part of a great spiritual awakening in America. And this is my prayer today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord one more good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. I tell you, neighbor, they are looking really good today. And I'm so glad you're here.
Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, uh, we're going to end up there in just a moment. A few minutes I have with you today, I, I want to continue my series on heroes. But the heroes I'll speak about today are the millions of men, women, and children across the world today that are being persecuted for Christ. The word unsung, uh, deliberately chosen, unsung means people that are not celebrated or praised on earth. I doubt any American knew him when he was in the Turkish prison, but how many know Christ knew him? And there's a heavenly celebration that awaits. Uh, again, a, Hebrew, a hero, someone we admire for their achievements or for their character. The word persecuted, it means to unjustly, which is the key word, having not deserved unjust pain, punishment of death upon Christians because of their faith in Jesus Christ. I want to show you a picture that hopefully you have seen many times. These cowards in the back are ISIS, uh, ISIS being the Islamic State of uh, Iraq and Syria. These are, I think it was 17 Christian men in orange. Uh, they were beheaded for the cause of Christ. And the Bible tells us, as what we'll use as a theme, the Scripture on top. Scripture says in Corinthians, if one member suffers, say it with me, all suffer together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So what you see today are people whose names I don't know, but yet they are our brothers in Christ who would not renounce Christ at the threat of death. They have children, they have wives, they have moms and dads that wept, and somehow the church in the free world must be a, a support, a strength, joined together to the church that in the, the persecuted world. And what I want to do this morning, briefly, is give you two things. Number one, I want to give you some facts about the persecuted church in the world today. And secondly, I want to share with you thoughts from Timothy, 2 Timothy, where Paul wrote from a prison cell about what, uh, what he would share with his son about enduring persecution. It's a sobering message, but it's one that uh, uh, in some ways we will likely live through even as American Christians in the days ahead. Let's begin modern-day persecution Christianity Today says a Christian is martyred every five minutes. I want the first three rows over here to stand up. First three rows, why don't you go ahead and stand. This service will last about an hour and 15 minutes. In that hour and 15 minutes, that's about how many Christians around the world that will die for Christ. It's about how many Christians through some form of persecution some form of death, will, will give their lives up because of Jesus. That's just in the time we're here at church. It's happening every day, every hour. You can be seated. Over the course of this year, there will be close to 105,000 Christians that are martyred. 105,000, that's like twice the number of people in Texarkana. More Christians have been martyred in the last 120 years than the first 1,900 years since the church was born. More Christians martyred. There are more than 200 million Christians facing persecution today. That's like two-thirds of America. In 105 countries of the world, that's about half the world, allows in some level persecution of Christians. It's according to Open Doors. Let me know, if you're under this violent persecution, it's horrible wherever you are. But missiologists tell us the most violent place for a Christian to live in America today, the worst place, is in uh, North Korea. As we gather today in this beautiful building with uh, lights and sound and air, 50 to 70,000 Christians 
are in, in, are in camps, internment camps uh, in, in Korea, North Korea. If a believer is caught with a Bible in North Korea, you can be executed. Uh, Religion News Services says Muslims are the primary drivers of Christian persecution around the world. Uh, missiologists, as well as our own State Department, have recognized the top 50 nations of the world that persecute Christians. Of those 50, 41 are, complo- are composed, the main religion is Islam. Uh, and the tragic thing is in America today, with this violence happening, uh, our, our, our government, our State Department, Washington, D.C., is reluctant to recognize it as a genocide. Because that would, encourage, that would, by law, encourage that American government participate to protect and to help. And for whatever reason, our government does very, very little, it seems like, for the Christian persecution around the world. Uh, if, if ISIS gives Christians a choice. Like these men you see on the screen, their choice is this. Convert to Islam. And if you convert to Islam, you must pay an Islamic tax. It's like an income tax once a year. Or you'll be killed, enslaved, or tortured. And this is the result of what's called Sharia law. Sharia law is being practiced now in Europe. When you see Europe saying that multiculturalism has failed, this is what they're talking about is Sharia law begins to become more prominent. Even in America today, there are those that are pushing that Sharia law would be a part. That's what they want when they bring their immigrants to America. They want their own law. Sharia law in Surah, the book of Surah 929, says that uh, in the Quran, it says to fight against those who believe not in Allah. Fight against them. That's their Bible. Their Bible specifically says, fight against the Muslim and the Jew, the people of the book. And we're told it's a religion of peace. I want you to see there may be peaceful people in the religion, but uh, I want to tell you those that are passionate and on fire are simply doing what their Bible says. There's not only persecution by Muslims, but in America there's a different type of persecution. I want to show you another brother on the center screen. This is your brother in Christ. His name is Dr. Eric Walsh. Uh, He's a, a, a doctor a public health expert, but he's also a lay minister. He is a lay minister associated with the Adventist church, and he's had to file a lawsuit against the Georgia Department of Public Health alleging he was terminated, listen now, because of sermons he preached in church. He loses his job as a, federal, as a state employee because of sermons he preached ranging from homosexuality to evolution. You say, what is he doing? Exactly what I do. Seeing our role as, as, as a Christian preacher, as a Christian pastor, a teacher of the Bible, to tell you what the Bible says regarding what's going on in our culture. Listen to what his attorney said. His attorney said he was fired for something he said in the sermon. And if the government can fire someone over a sermon, they can come after any of us for our beliefs on anything. It's almost insane to think about how the fact that America was founded not by religionists but by Christians, by believers in the Bible, and now Christians are being caricatured as the bad people in America today. Recently, we've seen our own Supreme Court overturn marriage, which is biblical marriage. Genesis 2, that a man would leave his mother and father, be joined to his wife. The two would be one flesh. Same-sex marriage. Now, if you're against it, you're called a bigot, a homophobe. If you simply repeat the Bible... And now the transgender bathrooms. Just this week, a federal circuit court said that, and I forget whether it was a a, a biological teenage girl that said she was a boy. I think that's what it was. Could have been vice versa. But filed a lawsuit against their school because she wanted to use the bathroom of her choice. And our own government says she has the right to do that. At the same time, one of your favorite stores, Target, 
Target said, we affirm the fact and the right of an employee or a patron to use whatever restroom they choose to use. You say, well, what's wrong with that? The Bible says that God created them male and female. And there's no doubt for the majority of people the way we're created. But the world says that an individual gets to determine everything. So as a Christian, when I parrot what the Bible says, when I say what the Bible says, I'm told that I'm insensitive and that I'm a person of hate. I would suggest that I love in a greater measure those that are deceived by this lifestyle because I'm willing to tell them the truth of things that God finds distasteful. Are you with me today? So this is the persecution in America. Christians losing their jobs, losing their freedoms, and it's not from a religion, but it's from our own government that has somehow uh, adopted this mindset. But with that background, these things are undeniable. And by the way, if you are concerned about social justice, I cannot think of a greater cause than Christian persecution around the world. That's a good time for an amen. Let's finish from the Bible in the last few minutes. I want to look at 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy, of course, written by Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. Paul is near death. He's in a Roman prison cell. He has completed his missionary journeys. Churches have been planted throughout the Mediterranean world. Elders have been appointed. He is now handing the reins to the next generation. And he says this to his son in the faith. He talks to him about persevering in spite of persecution. Now, how many know death is going to come to all of us? Where our hearts grieve today with Brother Roland today. Roland Warren, a member of our church, his wife Tamara went to be with the Lord yesterday. He and his family are here. Our hearts grieve with you today. We're sad. They watched their wife, their mother, just over time. Cancer just was destroying her body. If you want to put a blame to it, thank Adam and Eve because God told them in the day, come on, you eat, you'll surely die. Put the blame where it belongs. But they had a time to watch her and she reached the end of her life. Well, Paul was the same way, and one day, my friend, you will reach the end of your life. I'm 59 today. I feel like I'm 29. I know I look like I'm about 35. That's only if you take your glasses off and look from a distance. But we don't feel like we're old, but just like that, your life is over. And the question is, What have I done with my Christian experience? I want to tell you four things, four scriptures quickly, what Paul told his son in the faith in the context of his suffering. The first thing he said was, don't be ashamed of Jesus, even if it costs me to believe. 2 Timothy 1.8, he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but rather join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Listen to these words. Don't be ashamed of Christ. In other words, don't feel embarrassed. Don't stop living for Jesus. If you're in school, listen to me, young people, all of us, but if you're in school and it's lunchtime and you get ready to eat your lunch and and, and you want to thank God for what he's given you, the food, and you bow your head and you hear snickers around the room, and the next day you don't bow your head, you say a little prayer in your mind. Can I tell you, you have become ashamed of Christ if you share your faith with someone and, or give them an invitation to church and they laugh at you and they say, you, I, I don't believe in God. I don't want to go to your stupid church. And you keep the invitation in your pocket the next time you're ashamed of Christ. If you're in a college class and you're being, and the professor, like the movie God's Not Dead, is, is belittling you because of what you believe and he forces you or causes you to write on a paper, God is dead, you have just become ashamed of Christ. 
And Paul said, don't be ashamed of what you believe. But then he said this, join me. And he's not saying that Christians should look for a fight. Listen, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to be an antagonist towards people who are against what we teach about the Bible. Listen, I'm their friend. I'm trying to get them to heaven. I'm trying to let the light shine in the dark places of the world today. But I'm not looking for a fight. But what he's saying, if suffering befalls us, count it all joy. But then he says this. He says, uh, uh, join me uh, in suffering by the power of God, which suggests... If you have to go through this fiery furnace, somehow the Holy Spirit will come on you, come on now, in a greater way than He may come on you in church, more than a feeling, more than a goosebump, more than falling down, more than all these things. But, but something rise in your heart, come on, that makes you willing to go through it. You can count on it, friend. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said, and I'll summarize, I am content in persecutions. Didn't mean he enjoyed it. But he learned to find grace in it. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. The power of the Spirit. Let me give you the second thing. It is a sober call to endure suffering. 2 Timothy 2 verse 10. Paul said, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I endure everything. Endure means to remain faithful to God during suffering. And he does this so they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What's he saying? He's saying, if I quit during suffering, there'll be people that won't hear the gospel. If I quit bowing my head and praying, the light will disappear in my school. If I quit sharing Christ, those that are looking to me for an example to follow will perhaps stop following Christ, so I'm going to endure. And then he says this, verse 11, and this is an interesting passage. It's, it, it, it's supposed to leave you with kind of an inner struggle. He says, this, is a, this saying is trustworthy. Some believe this was a baptismal saying. It might be pronounced over people or said during water baptism. But in whatever case, he is, quoting, uh, he is quoting in this passage the words of Christ in a moment. But listen, he said, if we died with him, with Jesus, we'll live with him. Now, some believe it could be a literal death. And the de life is eternal life. Others believe that it was the symbolism of water baptism, going into the watery grave, coming up a new person in Christ living. But here's the point that, that I want to see. Verse 12. Everybody say if. If we endure, that is if we're faithful to Christ in suffering and persecution, we'll reign with him. But if we deny him, what's it say? He will deny us. Is that in your Bible? I'd like to cut that out. Now, 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 please, for a moment, don't think about am I losing my salvation. I don't believe that's the case, though the reference here is to an apostasy. This denying Christ, it means to turning away from Christ. And the Scripture is very plain that if I, if I turn my back on Christ, as this Scripture says, He will deny He even knows me. But verse 13 says, if we're faithless. Again, if we, if we give up, if we don't endure, He remains faithful and here's where the tension arises. Just like when Peter denied Christ, Jesus went looking for him. Your Father in heaven may not throw you away, but it's like two truths are coming together. We need to stand strong. We need to endure. But if we fall on our faces, God will be faithful to us. 
It's like as American Christians, we want one truth to be true and almost to, to negate the other. Uh, it, it could be whether it's faith and works. Uh, it could be free will or predestination. We want one truth to put the other down, so to speak. But the Bible just lets these truths bump into each other. And he's saying, stand strong. Don't deny me. Lest Christ denies you. But he's saying if you struggle and if you fall, God is still a faithful God. It might happen to you, friend. The scripture predicts that it will. 2 Timothy 3.12, it says everyone, come on, say everyone, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You don't go looking for the fight. But if you simply let your light shine in a dark world, people's eyes are going to be affected. His, this was his great motivation. 2 Timothy 4, keep your eyes on the prize. He was talking, my friend was talking about having a tooth pulled out with a pair of pliers. Listen, really, recently I had to go to the dentist. I had a crown pop off. I had to get the happy nose. I had to get three shots and the, and the dental assistant had to hold my hand lest I not make it. How long ago was that? 20 years. Well, guess what? The dentist is a memory to me now. But just like that, life is over. And here's what the Bible says. The time of my departure is near. This was his death. He's in a Roman prison cell. He said, I have fought the good fight. Not against people, but against evil and the demonic powers of darkness. I have finished the race. Think about the track. If you were a mile runner, listen, they run the mile like I used to run the 100-yard dash. And you're running, and you've got one lap to go, and you think, I don't know if I can ever make it, but the fans are cheering on the side, and the cheerleader is going, yay, run, John, run. And all of a sudden, life comes back to you, and you make the second lap. And then your mom stands up, her hands ringing, is my baby going to make it? But sooner or later, you're on the fourth lap, and before you know it, you're ahead of everybody else, and there's a finish line there, and all the cameras and everything is looking for you to cross. And that's what Paul is saying, the Christian life should be right. You're going to finish this race. Listen to what he said. He said, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. But now, everybody say now. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness. This is the reward, eternal reward in heaven, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. But listen, but not only me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. How many can say, I long for his appearing. I want Christ to be Lord. Give him a big hand today. I close with this passage. And then we'll have a, a closing song and a prayer. But it's a call to help persecuted believers. I have grappled for the last several days, what does it mean if one member suffers, all suffer together? You know, it's interesting sometimes how we let portions of the Bible define who we are. John 3.16, for example, Proverbs 3.5 and 6, Philippians 1.6. But sometimes scriptures remain vague and abstract and in the background to us. What, what does it mean? Here's an example. This helping persecuted believers, Paul in 2 Timothy 1.15, he says, you know that everyone in Asia has left me. Now here's a guy that's being persecuted for Christ. Everybody abandoned me. I'm all alone. 
except verse 16, there was a man named Onesiphorus. He has often helped me and was not ashamed that I was in prison. When he came to Rome, he looked eagerly for me until he found me. Now, I'm going to suggest to you, he's an example for us to be able to help in some measure Christian brothers and sisters around the world in our own community, in our own school that are being persecuted for Christ. You say, Pastor, how can I help people? Well, number one, you can pray for them. Hopefully today when you go to lunch and you talk to someone, how was church? What did you get? What, What was it like? I hope you'll pause a moment, even over your meal at lunchtime, and pray for the persecuted church. I hope you will do, I hope you will pray for the people who may be known and unknown. You might even pause every time you see a picture like this and, and pray for his, his wife, his children, his family, to include them in our prayers. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. The second thing you can do is you can give to the persecuted church. Any time that you want to give through our church, we'll make sure 100% of it gets there. All you have to do is write persecuted church on it, and we'll go through the ministry that we've talked about today. Uh, another thing you can do is you can, you can help people who are mistreated around you. Christians who may be laughed at at school for prayer. Someone that may stand up in a college class and they had boldness to, after the professor had maligned God and said there was no need for God in creation. And you make a comment and said, Sir, can you perhaps explain to me how evolution can have such a great brain and mind? to do such incredible things in nature? Sir, can you explain to me what caused the primary cause? Sir, can you explain to me what caused the Big Bang to go bang? Sir, can you explain to me that when the Big Bang gave forth all the elements and all this perfection that came out of nothingness, can you explain to me, sir, why the sun stopped at exact distance in the exact tilt from the earth so that we wouldn't freeze or burn up? Sir, can you explain to me the initiative, the intelligence behind gravity if there is no God? And you are demeaned as someone who is stupid. It takes more faith to believe, come on, that evolution is God than there is the deliberateness of a creator. But if you're in a college classroom and somebody is maligned for their faith, what this scripture would encourage you to do is to go up to them after class and say, I'm with you 100%, and next time you stand, I'm going to be standing with you because Christ is Lord. Come on, give Jesus a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? We're going to have a closing prayer. I'm going to ask my friend today, Pastor, come and and pray pray over us. And if there's